Blog Talk Radio. July 6th, gather your family and friends for summer's biggest celebration, the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona. Experience a weekend of excitement with racing under the lights and celebrate Independence Day with patriotic tributes and the region's largest fireworks display over the infield at Daytona. The Coke Zero Sugar 400 will be a celebration to remember. Adult tickets start at $49, kids $20. Lock in your seats at 1-800-PIT-SHOP or DaytonaInternationalSpeedway.com. This is NASCAR driver Brad Keselowski, and you're listening to the Pit Stop Radio.
Good evening from Duggan Nation. I'm Tim Spain alongside my good friend, CEO SpeedWeedIdish.com, up in Richmond Raceway. Stephen, how you doing this evening, brother? Uh, not too bad. It's a little warm up here, but aside from that, doing all right. Sounds good, yeah. I was coming home from work earlier there from Coots Valley Electric, and uh, I saw a uh, a water buffalo. He evaporated, Stephen. Evaporated. power gone. It's hot, damn it, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it, is. it is. And to let everybody know, the double to call in is 215-383-3681. Again, I'm Tim Spain here in Dagger Nation. He's Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com, right outside of Richmond. He had the week off, uh, week off last week, but we got him back. Uh, coming up here shortly, we've got... Uh, Public relations director there at Daytona National Speedway. My good friend, Mr. Andrew Booth, is going to swing by. But, Stephen, I don't want to put you on the spot. I've got it brought up, but I know NASCAR sent out the infraction sheet from this past weekend at uh, Chicago Land Speedway. I know you posted that on your uh, site. And it seems like week in and week out, we get this section 10.9.10.4 tires and wheels. They got one in the Cup Series and one in the Xfinity Series, Stephen. No, I think it's just honestly, it's just a product of the one left uh, crew member going across the wall. Um, these these uh, crew are more focused on the fact of um, making sure that the tires are within arm distance away so that the driver is not penalized for, um, you know, a, a tire rolling off too far and losing positions on our think they just got to the point where it's easier for them to pay a couple ten thousand dollars than it is to go out there and um just uh <clears throat> excuse me and uh and uh um you know get these drivers that are you know losing positions getting a getting a lap down and things like that so honestly i don't think anything is going to change um and my perspective is that honestly, I just think that it is just a product of it is just a product of that. I definitely agree. Just like you're saying, the infraction weighs out to go ahead and get that fine, and it probably weighs out. They probably make a little bit more than that ten thousand dollars getting off a of pit road like that. But uh, just to let everybody know, they NASCAR uh, got the number eleven there, uh, Benny Hamlin. In Chicago, Lynn Station 10.9.10.4 tires and wheels, just like Stephen explained. Uh, they fined Crew Chief Gate. Chris Gapehart was fined $10,000. And they also got the winning car in Xfinity Series, Stephen, the double zero there of Cole Custer. They got him for the same 10.9.10.4 also. And Crew Chief Mike Shiflett was fined $5,000. So it seems like, like you and I talk about, just like you said, it's like an ongoing deal. And I think it's a product of what. NASCAR has made it, and like you said, I think it just sort of pays. It sort of pays broad from Peter to pay Paul, if I can say that. And it sort of probably comes out better, Stephen, just like you said. Yeah, I mean at this point it is, and you know again, I think it's just you know, these these teams are working on practicing with a second on pit road and. You know, they're, they're not only worried about that, but, you know, this uh, pro system, virtual system that, you know, we're able to use AI uh, to detect uh, even minute penalties that they just really have to, 
they just have to they have to take from somewhere and that's where they're taking from and you know these these teams are you know again they're they're you know gonna gonna get hit with a couple thousand ten thousand dollar penalty or something like that but you know at the end of the day I think that's really they just look at it and say well I'm gonna make more money if I can get two or three positions out there uh, um, uh, on on the track than it is to try and worry about a uh, a lug nut. Exactly, Steve. We got a lot to cover. The uh, trucks, Xfinity Series, and Cup was in uh, Chicago Land Speedway this past, this past weekend. So I want to try to try try to go over the uh, the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series where Brett Moffitt won there this past weekend at Chicago Land, and we'll try to get to some other stuff because we got uh, Andrew Booth, public relations director from Daytona, coming on shortly. So, uh, Stephen, if I can, let's uh, us you and I and the listeners listen to what Brett Moffitt had to say in uh, Chicago after he won the Chuck Series race there. All right, everyone. We are now joined by driver Brett Moffitt, crew chief Jerry Baxter, and Spencer Gallagher of the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet. If you guys have any questions for them, please raise your hand. We'll get you a microphone. State your name and affiliation. Thank you. We'll go right up here in the front. Brett, you mentioned the uh, the pit stop. Was that the key to the race, or was it what you were doing on the racetrack there? Uh, it was the whole team. We had a really good Chevy Silverado. Jerry and the guys gave me a fast truck and a drivable truck. And um, it's one thing to have speed. It's one thing to be able to move top to bottom and have speed everywhere you go. So uh, pit stops, if you can make up ground, it's always a big plus. Um, but I felt like we had a truck capable of, of passing trucks, especially on the long run. We didn't really fall off much, and I could get up to the fence and, and be able to have good speed. So uh, I'll always take coming off pit road first, but uh, I feel like a hell of a lot more than that went into winning this race. Go back there, Bob. Well, I have two Bob Hockers, Fox Sports, Brett. Just what... How different is it to have a win where you celebrate in victory lane versus 30 minutes later? <laughs> uh, it's a heck of a lot more fun. You know, we get to celebrate with the guys, um, everyone that's a part of this program. And it, it's it's not only fun for me, it rewards the whole crew and, and the pit crew who, uh, for us, are contract employees. But, you know, they put their heart out there every race as well. So, um, you know, it's it's so much more rewarding to, to be able to celebrate in that fashion and, and – um, you know, no one can make up the BS lies about how we didn't win the race, and this one we won. So, and uh, Spencer, are you is your organization kind of making a statement or anything by running some awfully white uh, vehicles this weekend? The statement is that the winning race truck is available for sponsorship to those organizations that want to be a member of a winning team and future championship team. I believe I'm dare say right now. We're consistent in our messaging. <laughs> Jay Hoosman, fan for racing. Picking up your second win in three w races, you guys are really hitting your stride just going into the playoffs. Um, is that really by design or is it? Uh, by design would be we win every race. Uh, from Daytona to Homestead, but 
Um, you know, it's I think it's part of being with a new team. Um, you know, it, sometimes it takes longer than others. Uh, you know, sometimes you get in a new team and it just works, and sometimes we have to build at it. And that's what um, has me proud of this 24 team, especially is, you know, we've been kind of hit or miss, and we've been building, and we've been building traction and, and building momentum. And, um, you know, yesterday was really – what I feel kind of a turning point. We were able to really spend the time with three hours of practice to do some R&D and, and try to get the feel that I'm looking for in the front end of the race truck. Um, and it, I think it paid off in a major way. So I'm excited about the momentum we have and I feel like we can only get better. I think as an organization, we showed that we had three pretty badass race trucks out there tonight. Um, Sheldon had his issues early, but the 52 is right there running us down, and once I moved up to the top, I was able to take his airway. But uh, we just need to keep building momentum and, and keep winning our way into the playoffs and try to get as many playoff points as we can before uh, now and then. We'll go right here in the middle. Brett, Chad Dare with the Danville Commercial News. Can you pinpoint one thing that has been different in this transition to the team that's now working better? Transition... Okay, so like going from HRE to here, um, it's it's a huge difference. You know, we went from a single car small team to the mega team of the truck series and GMS, and it's just a lot bigger orga organization. You got teammates. There's a lot more personnel. Um, you know, there's pluses and minuses to both situations, and it's just the way everything operates is is different. And I need to adapt to that as a driver. That's my job to come in there and adapt to that. And then as a team within the organization, Jerry, myself, and the 24 guys, we need to be able to kind of do our own thing and, and communicate on our own level, but still work together with the other two truck teams that we have. So it's uh, it's just a little bit different than what I was used to last year, but it's all going in the right direction. And I love having Sheldon Creed and Stuart Friesen as my teammates. I feel like they bring a lot to the table. and. It's good to always have three trucks out there to bounce ideas off each other and try new packages. Any final questions? Back there. Yeah, when you were doing your victory lap, I seen uh, you had a little bit of damage on your right side. Do you remember how you got that? <laughs> yeah, uh, we were on a restart there in the 88 tried to clear himself up in front of the 22 and the 22 just snuck out outside of him down the back stretch and when that happened the 22 ended up kind of almost spinning down the track into our right side door and I was kind of worried about the damage I thought he was going to cut our right rear tire but after a few laps the truck still felt good uh, obviously it, we're going to need to put a new door on the truck but uh, we can do that we got we got a fab shot for a reason and we'll go on We'll go over to Dustin on the left over here. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Spencer, uh, with the success that you guys are having in building, does it make it easier with not being in a, in a vehicle, or does it make it harder not being in a vehicle with, with, with your history? You know, I, I started out um, in this business with the, the feeling that this race team is my family, and something I've always had through and through is, you know, as a driver, whenever someone else is in victory lane, there's a part of you that will forever instinctually hate that. 
But for the rest, it's it's true. You know, you always hate seeing someone else win. If you don't hate watching someone else in victory lane, get the hell off the racetrack. You never belong there in the first place. But at the same time, when that driver is wearing the three letters across his chest that matter, that's that's a win for Spencer right there. I care about GMS more than anything. So as long as I get to see our trucks in victory lane, I get to go home a happy guy and I get to sleep good at night. Any final questions? Right over there. Mitchell Brewer, Popular Speed. Brett, second win at Chicagoland with a different team. What does that mean to you to find success at a racetrack that you've already found success at, but with a different team? I think experience always helps at a race at a racetrack, uh, especially this place. It's it's worn out. It's rough, and you got to be willing to run right up by the fence. You know, there's some guys in this series that are really good at that, and some guys that struggle at that, and. The big thing here is is knowing when is the right time to move up. Uh, the bottom's faster on new tires, and you can run the bottom for a while, but it's all about being the first one up at the right time uh, to make the top work and have speed. So I think that I learned a lot last year uh, battling with John Hunter Nemechek here, and I transferred all that knowledge to this year. And, you know, it's, it's obviously been a good track for me, but more importantly, you know, we just – we need to get our race team to where we can go win week in and week out. And I feel like we have the capability to do that. And tonight we executed a race to 100%. The pit crew was flawless. Jerry's calls were flawless. And, and all the guys worked really hard yesterday to give, my, to give myself a fast Chevy Silverado. So we just got to stay on this page and, and keep knocking them down. Anything final? No? Congratulations, guys. Thanks again. Thanks, King. Stephen, I was Brett Moffitt there in the media center at Chicago Land Speedway after he won after he picked up his second win. He's third in points, and we're getting to the time of the season where you and I start talking about the points. Uh, we got our good friend Grant Infinger is P1 in points, uh, and you got Stuart Friesen, Brett Moffitt, Matt Crafton, Ben Rhodes, Harrison Burton, Austin Hill, Todd Gillen, Sheldon Creed, and Johnny Sauter round out your top ten. Is it in the? Is it? This time of year, like you and I always talk about, is it time to start points racing for some of the or some of these guys that are point racing, like Grant Infinger? He don't have a win, so he's not guaranteed a spot. What's your take on that situation, brother? Well, I mean, some of those around the seventh, eighth place, ninth, and longer there, they got the biggest to be concerned about because Johnny Sauter sits out the top ten, and Ross Chastain sits. Uh, just outside the top 20, and both of them have wins in the series in the season, so they're guaranteed a spot. And Chastain will probably be in that top 20 within the next couple of weeks or so. So two of those drivers around that seventh, eighth, ninth position, and Harrison Burton, like you talked about, and some of the others, are going to be out of this thing if they don't have a win and don't get a win sometime soon. Um, so, you know, that's one of the biggest things right now is you've got two two drivers sitting outside of that cutoff position with one already guaranteed, a, you know, a spot in because he's in 10th, and then you got uh, Ross Chastain, like, 20, 22nd, 21st, something like that, and, and only needs about 14 or 15 points to get in top of that top 20, and, you know, by, based on the way that they're running, that, shouldn't, that should be within the next couple of weeks or so. 
So, um, yeah, I think there's some danger there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that really some of these drivers are going to have to get up on top of the wheel and go out there and, and, and win. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, Harrison Burton and, uh, David, I mean, sorry, Todd Gillen, both of those have been talked about as to, you know, as far as Kyle Busch, that, you know, they're fast trucks that they have there. They're given fast trucks. Um, Greg Bilko comes in after three, four years and not even being in a, in a seat in a, and wins in one of their trucks. And, you know, you have two drivers sitting there that, you know, in two seasons really uh, haven't won. And they just kind of have a lot of ups and downs and more downs than they have up. So, um, yeah, I think that some of these drivers are already in danger at this point in the season. And if they don't get out there and get a win, then they're not going to be – they're not going to compete later on down the line. And Stephen, to add to your points there, yeah, Ross Chastain is 24th in points. Like you said, he's got the he's got the two wins. And like you said, some of our listeners might not know, he has to finish in the top 20 in points plus have a win to be eligible to go to Homestead and run for the championship in the truck series. And with, with, with that being said, Stephen, Ross Chastain, he's a real good friend of ours. Like you said, He's going to get there. Do you think going to Homestead that I, we know he's going to make it there? Do you think him and uh, Nice Motorsports has a shot of win, winning this championship after he declared a couple of weeks ago he's running for the championship and not running for the championship with Johnny Davis at Daddy Motorsports? I mean, Hattori Racing did it last year as a single car team with no really affiliation with anybody else have like what like eight nine guys or something like that work in their shop and most of them go to the go to the track on the weekends. So um so yeah, um I, I think it's I think it's possible. I think it's uh um entirely possible that um, you know, you know, Nice Motorsports because of their and they're in a little different situation because they're getting their trucks fabbed and engineered and chassis from GMS Racing, so, you know, they're an affiliate to them, and, you know, Hattori Racing last year really, uh, I mean, they had Toyota helping them out, but, you know, as a whole, they didn't have some kind of affiliation to a Cowboys Motorsports or something like that, and we saw what they did last year, and, you know, several times that they were right there on that cutoff bubble, or just a year ago, they were in danger of not even coming to Chicago because they didn't have a, a, a sponsor, and that would have been devastating and uh, just totally put them out of, of running for a championship in 20, 2018. So, um, you know, Nice is uh, putting the investment into it. He's making the the affiliations and the partnerships that he needs to make with GMS Racing, having them fatting the trucks and stuff like that. So, well... Uh, they're performing much better, and we're seeing the product of that already on track this year with uh, uh, um, Ross Chastain, who won at Kansas. And that win was not a, uh, you know, one that he can take and carry over to the championship. He had his uh, win stripped away just a couple of weeks ago at, at Iowa, and then, uh, you know, he comes back at, he comes back at, uh, at Gateway and wins. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're seeing them, kind of be the cream of the crop along with some of the other teams out there um, that, that that are fighting up there in the top couple. And then, I mean, even Stuart Friesen himself, he's another offshoot of GMS Racing, and we're seeing him run in second points position right now. And, and it seems like every week he's the bridesmaid or he's running bridesmaid to the to the eventual winner of the, of the race. And, you know, at some point I think that he's going to get into victory lane, but I think he's secured himself 
uh, by virtue of just, you know, the points that he's collected uh, over the first, uh, you know, dozen almost events this year. Steve, you bring up another good point. We were going to talk about this. You and I got the note today from Atari Racing Enterprise, just like you talked about uh, about last year. Uh, Austin Hill is going, to, is, is going to debut this weekend at Daytona International Speedway there uh, in the Firecracker 250 for HRE. And uh, Scott Zipatelli is going to be the crew chief. They're going to be running that uh, that that uh, Toyota Super. But, uh, Stephen, before we get into all this about the experience here. Let's go ahead and bring on our guest tonight. We've got uh, Public Relations Director there at uh, Daytona International Speedway, Mr. Andrew Booth. Let's bring him into the pit stop with Tim Stone and Stephen Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Mr. Andrew Booth, Daytona, welcome. Taking time to call out, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for having to call in and sit so with Tennessee and Steve Wilson. How you doing? Good, good, guys. How are y'all doing? Good. It's a little bit hot up here. I'm sure it is down here in Daytona, ain't it, Andrew? Well, it's typical Florida weather, hot and humid. Um, but it's what we come to expect in July. But uh, it's still beautiful, uh, beautiful days. And, uh you know, it's a, it's a wonderful place to live at. It's certainly going to be a great place to see some racing at this weekend. You got that right, Andrew. And before we get talking about your track and some racing this weekend, uh, if you can, can you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, how you got started, how you ended up at Daytona? And I know you're a big hockey fan. I've seen your Facebook stuff about hockey. <laughs> but let everyone know where you got your start, if you don't mind, Andrew. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I was born and raised here in Daytona Beach. I've lived here all my life. I uh, lived about uh, 10 to 15 minutes from the track. Uh, I remember going to the track when I was a kid. I think the first time was around 1985, um, 86. Um, one of my fondest memories as a kid growing up, something I'm certainly they'll be well-received in Alabama, was watching Bobby Allison in the 1988 Daytona 500 uh, with my grandfather. So um, I love Daytona. I've always had a passion for what happens at Daytona and for racing in general. And so um, I went to college at Stetson University about 30 miles from um, – Daytona National Speedway, and uh, after graduating there um, and working at the Daytona Beach News Journal, the local newspaper there, I was able to get a, a job in the public relations department of uh, Daytona National Speedway. And now, about uh, 20 years later, I'm the PR director there, and it's, uh, it's, it's I'm very blessed and fortunate to be able to work uh, at the World Center of Racing and to uh, help uh, tell the story and uh, the experience to, to race fans from around the world that come here. And, Andrew, being the world center of speed, like you mentioned there at Daytona International Speedway, you know, my home track here is Talladega Super Speedway, and we're undergoing our $50 million project like y'all had went through y'all's a couple of years ago. Can you let it, can you let our listeners know exactly some of the amenities that you guys have there at the world center of speed for fans, Wi-Fi, uh, uh, veterans, or anything that you like to talk about, ticket specials or anything, Andrew? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, back in 20, about 2013, uh, the International Speedway underwent, underwent a $400 million uh, renovation, which we call Daytona Rising. And uh, we did not touch the racetrack. We did not touch the infield 
of the property. It was all about the facility outside of it and the seating area. Um, I would say before that renovation, we had basically grandstands. Um, but with the $400 million renovation, uh, we transformed uh, the Toronto National Speedway into a state-of-the-art motorsports facility. Um, we have five different injectors that fans use to enter the facility now. We have uh, spacious concourses and neighborhoods, uh, 11 different social neighborhoods, uh, more food and beverage areas, more restroom amenities, and uh, wider, more comfortable seats, all with cup holders and armrests. Uh, a brand new tower with uh, premium amenities, uh, two new premier hospitality um, areas, the Rolex 24 Lounge and Harley J's. Um, we have Wi-Fi uh, throughout the seating area, which is uh, about almost a, a mile long. And uh, we don't have Wi-Fi in the seating area, in the actual seat, but we have them in the concourses. Uh, we have three different uh, main concourses that the fans use, and there's a lot of different ways to interact with the facility. Um, and, they, of course, the midway outside uh, the facility is premier. Everything's just state-of-the-art. And uh, it's transformed what they, uh, the, the experiences of the International Speedway. And probably one of the biggest things that came out of the renovation was the uh, 40 escalators uh, that we've, we now have vertical transportation that fans can use to get to their seats and to get back down from their seats. Uh, we had zero escalators before this renovation. When it came to elevators, we had, I think, three or four. Uh, we now have 17 elevators. So it's a modern uh, facility, a modern racetrack, and uh, it's something that's been very well received by the fans. And uh, if you've not been to Daytona National Speedway, uh, it's certainly something you want to put in your bucket list. And if you have been, but you haven't been since the renovation, it's really something special to see. And, Andrew, talk a little bit about uh, the weeks prior coming up to your big event, uh, which I know your biggest event is the, obviously the Daytona 500. Coming up to your event, uh, Daytona 500, or this Coke Zero Sugar 400, like here at my home track, Russell and them, they start preparing way before. Can you talk a little bit about how how your staff pre- prepares for this upcoming event, and how long does it take you to get everything ready? Well, I, I'd say we never stop preparing, it seems like. Uh, this is a, a busy racetrack um, every day. Uh, when, you, when you look toward February in the Daytona 500, there's really a buildup that begins right after the new year with the Royal before the Rolex 24, which is a major three-day uh, sports car test that we have. Uh, then we have an ARCA test, and then we go right into the Rolex 24 at the end of the month, uh, which is a major four-day event for us. And we jam-packed the infield that's sold out. We have fans in the stands as well. And uh, then I think we get a week or two off, and then we're right into – the stock car portion of Speed Weeks with the uh, Daytona 500 pole qualifying, the Archer race, and the clash at Daytona. And then the week after that, we go right into uh, the, the duel at Daytona, the truck race, the Xfinity race, and then the Daytona 500. So uh, I think we take another week or two off, maybe, and then we go right into the Daytona Supercross. And that's a, a premier Supercross motorcycle event that we have. And then the week after that, we've got uh, American Flat Track on the trial football field, and we have the Daytona 200 uh, motorcycle road course race. So in the first three months, that's the majority of our schedule. Uh, our, our staff is used to going nonstop, um, and so the facility really is prepared all the time. Um, in terms of the Daytona 500, we actually have our tickets on sale already for next year. They went on sale in early June, so we're already preparing and getting ready uh, for another sellout crowd for the Daytona 500. At the same time as we're preparing for this weekend's July 4th weekend race with the Coke Zero Sugar 400. 
Uh, and then we're still busy here in the fall with uh, more motorcycle events and sports car events and go-kart events, and we have uh, the NASCAR racing experience. Uh, this facility is uh, busy close to 200 days out of the year. And, Andrew, my final question before I hand you over to Stephen Wilson, com. As I mentioned, when we brought you on, you're a big hockey fan. Talk, I, Andrew, I just can't – I've tried to watch it. I don't understand the rules, but who's your favorite team? Do, do you all have a hockey team in Daytona, or is it down in Miami? <laughs> no, we've got, a, we've got a hockey team in Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And um, we did have a, a semi-pro hockey team here gosh, 20, 25 years ago. Um, but uh, when the NHL put hockey in Miami and put hockey in Tampa, uh, that really exposed me to that sport. And I would say there is a lot of similarities between hockey and racing in the sense that you really have to go to a race in person uh, to truly get that taste of what that experience is like and to feel uh, the sensation of the speed from your seat, the noise, um, the smell. Um, the action, uh, I always find racing to be so entertaining in person, and I would tell you that hockey is the same way. Um, it doesn't always come across on TV with hockey, and I think if you're there in person in a rink and watching a hockey game, you'll be just as entertained as going to a, a race and watching it live in person as well. And I think the, the athletes are also very engaging, just like our race car drivers are. And, Andrew, before I hand you over to Stephen, I want to warn you, uh, my good friend Grant Lynch here, I'm pretty sure you heard he's retiring uh, after they get everything done here in October and after the race. And he, the way he told me, he bought a boat, and he's coming down to Apalachicola. So, uh, Andrew, watch out. I don't know if Grant could drive a boat or not. The way he talked, I asked him, was it a little flat bottom? He said, no, two or three of us went in and bought it. So it's probably a big boat. So y'all watch out for Grant down there. <laughs> Andrew, I don't, I'm, I don't know what he's doing. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Grant's going to find his way to Daytona, and we'll be more than welcome to have him. He's a good man. Yes, sir. And again, Andrew, thank you very much for taking time to call in, and good luck on events this weekend. I wish I could come down, but I know Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDallas.com. He's leaving, coming down there tomorrow. I'm going to throw you over to him. Thanks again, Andrew. Appreciate it, brother. You got it, man. Take care. Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight and talk to us a little bit about racing at Daytona this weekend. Um, just a real short story because it kind of it gets into my question. In, in, in 97, when, when the track announced in 98 that we're going to go under the night racing out there, um, you know, we I had planned to come down. Unfortunately, the fires there had... Uh, had put a little damper on that, and that, that race ended up getting moving, so moved to October. So it wasn't until about 99 that I actually came there for the first time, watched racing underneath the lights, and watched Dale and Dale fight it out that night. But the one thing that really sticks out in my mind is in 2001 when there was 180, 185,000 people there at Daytona and watched Dale Jr. cross the finish line in the epic finish there. Um, we've all watched it on TV, some of the replays that have happened over the years. But Daytona has just had this really special uh, place in, in NASCAR history, and this race has been run for 61 years uh, in Daytona under various names, the Pepsi 400, the Coke Zero Sugar uh, 400 now, Firecracker 400. Just, just, how, just how much history over the years ha- have you seen, and what sticks out in your mind as one of the greatest memories of this racing event uh, through its 61-year uh, history? Well, yes, even um, 2001, 
is got to rank up there. I, I've only experienced uh, maybe see here twenty to thirty of the July races, uh, but the two thousand one one was amazing and something I'll never forget. I was in the press box that day. Uh, it was my gosh, my second or third race working at the Speedway. Uh, but I remember vividly the sight of uh, Dell Jr. coming off turn four and all those fans in the stands that were waving their hats or waving their hands, uh, everybody was universally cheering for him uh, to take the checkered flag first and to win that race. So it was a very emotional night. And I think a, a, a beautiful night to see him and Michael Walsh celebrate there on the trial. Board. That's a great memory. Uh, uh, that I'll never forget. Uh, they, they all, the Coke Zero Sugar 400 has had some great uh, chapters over the years uh, throughout its history. If you you go back to 1984 and Richard Petty winning in front of uh, President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. Uh, if you go back to some of the finishes that David Gerson had with Richard Petty in the 70s, the domination that Glenn Fireball Roberts had in the 60s. There were some great finishes in the 90s. I remember Jimmy Spencer and Ernie Irvin battling side-by-side in one of those daytime races. Actually, Bobby Allison, and that was one that I I was at the stands for as a fan, and Bobby Allison coming from a lap down uh, to win the 1987 uh, Firecracker 400. What a a race that was that day. That was the day that Kenny Schrader flipped upside down across the start-finish line. Uh, But Dave Marcus and Buddy Baker were in the running that day to win that race, too. Uh, I just remember Bobby coming back to win that race, and I was a big Bobby Allison fan, and he was a lap down, and and that was back when they didn't have the – the beneficiary of getting your lap back. He had earned his lap back, and uh, he pulled that one out. I was just stunned that he got his lap back. Um, so some great some great finishes in this race, um, and we're looking forward to another another great chapter this weekend. Uh, you know, this, uh, this year it's, it's going to be the last time that it's going to be run on, on, on July 4th weekend or, or thereabout. Uh, it's going to move a little bit later on into the season in 2020 through some of the schedule reassignments. Um, just, just how does how does Dave kind of market that to to the fan that has seen the Firecracker 400 and and the Cook's Ear Sugar 400 race traditionally on uh, uh, July 4th weekend for for the last 61 years? How, how do how do you change your marketing um, to to expose the fan to uh, uh, looking at this race later on in the season instead of on its traditional weekend? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a big change for our fans, and we understand that. Um, we've had a great tradition with this race for 61 years, and some great finishes like we just talked about. Uh, but moving the race to August next year will give us an opportunity to write a new chapter in the history of this event, uh, to be the the last event um, on the regular season schedule. We start the season here at Daytona in February. We're now going to finish the regular season at Daytona next year in uh, late August, on August 29th. It still could be a nighttime race. But to be the final regular season race and to have the place that we're going to have in the schedule and to be able to have the drama unfold and trying to make the playoffs, um, that's an incredible opportunity for here at the Speedway, but also for our fans to witness. Uh, we're going to have drivers that have already clinched a spot in the playoffs, but then we're going to have drivers that are on the bubble around that you know, 12 to 18 range. They're going to need a good finish in points that possibly will put them in the playoffs. And then you've got a, a third set of drivers that know that they have to win. And it's going to give us an opportunity for a driver to kind of have a walk-off moment in the race next year. You know, an epic victory, hopefully something that we remember, much like the Richard Petty and the Dale Earnhardt Jr. victories, where they, under pressure, they deliver, and uh, they don't respond to playoffs. 
Daytona National Speedway is going to have a bigger say in uh, how the championship plays out. And I think that's an exciting proposition for us at Speedway, but also for the fans. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing how it, it plays out next year. This weekend is going to be the first time that, that the cars have come back to Daytona without a restrictor plate of some type. They've changed the rules this year. So we, it's been about 30 years since we've been unrestricted to some degree. And yeah, it's, I'm not an engineer, so I'm not even going to try and to get into the to the whole dynamics of how the new cars work uh, without a restrictor plate. But anyways, you know, it's the first time that we're coming back. Um, we've seen good racing at Talladega already with the similar style package. What are you most looking forward to when these cars return uh, this weekend in, in the uh, Coke Zero Sugar 400? Well, that's a great question, Stephen. And I, I, I saw the racing at Talladega. I thought it was fantastic. It was a great show. And you know, that's what we're hoping for here on Saturday. It is, uh, it is somewhat historic that we don't have a plate on the cars anymore. We've now gone to the tapered spacer. But uh, from my understanding, it, what the fans will see will not change much in terms of uh, the same style of track style racing that we've seen in and years past, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I don't think we really know until we get those cars on track Saturday. But from what we saw in, in the uh, springtime at Talladega, I, I'm, I'm excited about what might happen. Uh, certainly the drivers have a little more horsepower to play with. And uh, I, I think Daytona and Talladega, we have a tradition of producing some great, some great shows, and I would expect another one on, on Saturday night. Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and talk to us a little bit about uh, your your history there at Daytona and some of the history of this uh, race this weekend. But before we let you get out of here, let everybody know what you have available. You got any good seats still available down there, any kind of specials you guys are running, and uh, how everybody can follow the track and you throughout the weekend through, through the Coke Zero Sugar 400. Well, sure thing. On, on, on social media, DIS updates or on our Facebook page, We'll be producing all kind of content uh, that fans are not on the track uh, can enjoy. But we do have uh, tickets still available. They start at $49. Uh, children 12 and under are free on, uh, in the general mission areas on, on Friday night, the Xfinity Series race. And the tickets are $20 on Saturday night, the Coke Series Sugar 400 for kids 12 and under. Um, so, like I said, the tickets are available. We have a Michael Wright free race concert. We're a special uh, Medal of Honor uh, recipient salute that we've done for the past 11 years. And we have a, uh, a retired U.S. Army Colonel, Hal, Dr. Hal Kushner, who uh, served in the Pierre Dungeon camp in Vietnam for five and a half years. He is going to be our honorary pace truck driver. Uh, so we have a lot of special things planned uh, to salute the military throughout the weekend. It's going to be an uh, exciting time for the Daytona National Speedway and certainly encourage fans that uh, they want to come down and enjoy a great 4th of July Daytona Beach area to check us out at DaytonaNationalSpeedway.com. Thanks a lot, Andrew, and best of luck throughout the weekend. Thanks, Stephen. I take take care. Thank you, Andrew Booth. There, Stephen, PR director there at Daytona International Speedway. He mentioned, I didn't know they had all them escalators, Stephen. I know you had been down there before, but their their renovation is was a lot bigger than what I'm going through here with Talladega and Russell and Grant. They, it was like up in a hundred millions of dollars. They, I didn't realize all that they had done. And an escalator to me, since I've, since I've had my hip replacement, that's like gold. I'm like a candy in a kid's store. I'm gonna run to that escalator, Stephen. 
<laughs> yeah, those uh, those injectors that they have there, uh, over $500 million, they put in this totally redesign uh, the stadium as it is today. Uh, you know, it's much larger. It's You've got all premium seats throughout there, like he's already done talked about. They tore down the seats on the back stretch, the suites on the back stretch, moved everything, everybody out to the front stretch so everybody can catch all the action. And, uh, you know, they've raised grandstands, too, that, um, you know, that first that first row in the grandstands is probably uh, where you would start row 15 or so at any other racetrack. Um, so, you know, you get a nice perspective from even the bottom row um, there in the new stadium. And, you know, that's uh, it, it's very nice. Um, if you haven't been there, I suggest go to Daytona. Um, back in 90, 99, the first time I went to Daytona, um, that I was talking about the, the stands on the front stretch, they were wooden grandstands in 1998. So, um, you know, they've, they've made a lot of progress. Um, they've, they've done a lot of design work. The, the injectors that bring you into it and the concourse levels out there, um, just immerses you into, um, the racing atmosphere. So, um, Anybody that hasn't been to Daytona, I suggest going to Daytona. Um, and, and like Andrew said, sometimes it's about you got to go to that you got to go to that event to really see what it's all about because uh, it, it sometimes doesn't always do it justice on TV. Exactly, just like you said, when you come here to Talladega last year, uh, you know, there's like Barney Hall said, they don't race anywhere in the world like they do here at Talladega, and they don't race anywhere in the world like they do at Daytona either, Stephen. I know you've been talking. Let's take a little quick break and let you gather your win. We'll come back. We'll talk about the uh, Xfinity Series race and the Monster Energy Cup Series race there at Chicagoland Speedway. Uh, I'm Timmy Spain, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com. Mr. Stephen Wilson, number calling is 215-383-3681. We're going to take a little quick break and talk about uh, – Little Midland drinking problem live from Talladega, Alabama. One more night, one more down, one more, one more round. First one in, last one out, even then.
on July 6th, gather your family and friends for summer's biggest celebration, the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona. Experience a weekend of excitement with racing under the lights and celebrate Independence Day with patriotic tributes and the region's largest fireworks display over the infield at Daytona. The Coke Zero Sugar 400 will be a celebration to remember. Adult tickets start at $49, kids $20. Lock in your seats at 1-800-PIT-SHOP or DaytonaInternationalSpeedway.com. I'm Matt DiBenedetto, driver of the number 95 Procore Toyota Camry, and you're listening to The Pit Stop with Tim Despain. We're back live from Talladega, Alabama. Uh, I'm Tim Despain, alongside the SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, that was a great interview there with uh, with Andrew Booth. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, I know we got a lot to cover. We might not get, we might not have time to cover everything. I want to apologize to all of our listeners, but thanks for everybody listening. Uh, Stephen Cole Custer. He is just unreal, brother. He won the race there at Chicago Land Speedway. I mean, what is 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 he going to be one of your next Cup regulars, Stephen? Like uh, you and I talk about, there's probably nowhere to put some of these guys. We talk about Christopher Bell. We got Cole Custer. There's so many guys that's coming up through the ranks through this uh, driver development deal that some of these teams have going. But before we listen to Cole Custer there in the media center at Chicago Women's Speedway, where are we going to put all these guys, Stephen? I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, you got a lot of drivers in the next couple of years, five, ten years or so, that are going to that are going to be, uh, you know, retiring out. Jim Johnson, uh, Kevin Harvick, uh, there's other drivers out there. Excuse me, Denny Hamlin. At some point, I think he's got a few years left. But, you know, there there are other drivers out there that are getting close to that age where they are going to be looking at uh, retirement or moving into the booth or whatever their next career path may be. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a dominance of uh, uh, Christopher Bell, but uh, I, th- I think, you know, they continue to talk what's going to happen to him. And Cole Custer has... Uh, you know, is right there on top of him this year. We're seeing his skills develop. Uh, he won at Richmond earlier this year. He just won this past weekend. So, you know, they're they're kind of fighting tit for tat for, for that top of the pile. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what will eventually happen over at uh, Stuart Haas Racing uh, with, with somebody like, uh, um, you know, Dan Suarez that, um, may not um, be there, and we we don't know you know what his situation is, but um, he may not be there long term. Um, Eric Almarola, that uh, you know, while he runs competitively and he's got a, a sponsor behind him, there, you know, we we don't know how long he may be there, but you know, at, at some point, uh, Cole Custer will be in one of those cars. Um, maybe Kevin Harvick, uh, after next season, hangs it up and goes into the booth and uh, on television for somebody like Fox that he's done a lot of work for. Um, we, we, we honestly, we, we just don't know. But at, at some point, uh, we will see Cole Custer in one of those Stuart House racing machines. And which one it is, it's uh, kind of hard to tell right at this moment. And uh, you know, as far as Christopher Bell is concerned, there's, Continuing rumors that Matt Benedetto might not be in that number 95 next year, that that team may be taken over by Joe Gibbs Racing as an affiliate team 
at similar to what they did with uh, Eric Jones at Furniture Row Racing and provide all the equipment and the cars and the engineering and the staff and the engines and, you know, all, all the work, but it's just fielded by another team. And, you know, that might be the situation that, that happens over there. Or, you know, uh, Bob Levine has talked about that if they have enough funding, if they have enough support, then they may expand back and put that 59 car back out there on the racetrack. And maybe that'll be a situation where we see um, a similar again, a similar what they did with Eric Jones at Furniture Road Racing, and uh, that 59 car comes with that kind of support, and Matt DiBettadetto stays in that number 95, or maybe Eric, uh, or maybe uh, Christopher Bell goes in the 95, and the, the 59 becomes um, Matt DiBettadetto's car. We, we honestly don't know. There, there, there's so much that could potentially happen, and we can it's an ands and buts all day long, but, you know, until it's announced and everything is signed, and contracts are put together, um, we honestly really don't know, but I, I, I do suspect that, you know, we have drivers that are coming along and uh, need rides in the Xfinity series. Um, there's drivers that need rides in the Kansas truck series. Uh, we're, we're, you know, Haley Deegan is a Toyota racing development driver that, you know, is potentially next year going to at least make a start or two, and uh, still going to run ARCA and K&N, and, you know, she's a development driver that we will see move through the ranks in a similar fashion that we have with Christopher Bell and Eric Jones and other drivers that they've put under. So there's going to be a lot of seat swapping in the next couple of years, and, uh, you know, that just continues to breathe the life into the sport. And Toyota has done a really good job with this, and they've really done their homework and gone out and put together drivers and deals and sponsorships and partnerships and all the things that make these cars run and get on the racetrack every single weekend. And, uh, you know, Ford has been another one that has been putting together a lot of these deals, been supporting a lot of these drivers. And, and it seems like, you know, behind Toyota and Ford, Chevrolet has kind of tried to figure out what they're going to do next. And they've not really had a feeder system. I'm sure they have junior motorsports. They've got with Rich Childress Racing and the Xfinity Series. But Chevrolet has not traditionally, in the last couple of years, 10, 15 years or so, have built together that support system like we've seen with uh, Ford and Toyota. Mostly Toyota has been the driving factor, and I think Ford kind of copied some of these things in order to continue to breathe the lifeblood and these, these drivers into the sport, making sure that they're hands-on and putting de deals and partnerships and things like that together. And... Um, I think that's also kind of, you know, kind of going off on a totally different subject, but kind of why Chevrolet has struggled to some degree is that they're not pumping the drivers into their cars um, like we're seeing in Ford and Toyota. And, um, but again, I, where do these drivers go? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to tell, and we can't expand the field anymore. I think going back to an expanded field, putting 40 cars on the racetrack, uh, you know, or, 43 cars or whatever the num number is, I, I just don't think it's a solution at this point. And I think we need to keep these, uh, keep the fields the way they are and, um, you know, let everything work itself out. Exactly, Stephen. I definitely agree. Let's listen to what uh, Cole Custer had to say in the Minister Center at the uh, Chicago Land Speedway after he won the Xfinity race, sir. 
300 earlier this afternoon, race winner Cole Custer and crew chief Mike Skiplett. And um, Cole, first of all, congratulations. This is your fourth victory of the season, your 10th top 10, and your sixth victory overall. Did you think coming into this season that um, you'd be at the halfway-ish point and already have four victories um, in that win column? Uh, I I guess not, but I knew we were going to be good. It was just a matter of uh, how long it was going to take us to get there, I think. You know, we both have won a lot, you know, races before, and they were really good last year with Mike and Davin. So it was just a matter of how long it was going to take, you know, for us to learn each other and learn the cars and everything. And I think, it, you know, we really, you know, we started at Fontana. So it was, it's really, you know, started off really good. So, I think we're just going to get better and better throughout the year. And, Mike, for you, congratulations on this win as well. Um, this team just continues to gel and um, seems to just get stronger every week. Talk a little bit about leading this team from your position and the win here today at Chicagoland. You know, it's the philosophy is just to make the next car better than the last car that we had. So every week we try to make the car a little bit better than we had before. And everybody believes in that, and everyone works and strives to try to make the car better than the next car. And it's showing on the racetrack, and we'll have the best car that we've ever had when it comes to Homestead. Everybody should probably be a little worried with that statement, right? We'll go ahead and take questions um, from Cole or Mike. If you have one, please raise your hand. Say your name, affiliation. We're going to start up front. Tim Cronin from the Joliet Herald News. Cole, on a day like this, uh, did you have any adjustments you wanted made along the way? And, Mike, in your case, on a hot day like this, how hard is it to make adjustments? The guys behind were saying it was pretty difficult to catch up to him. Yeah, I mean, it, our car was pretty good all day. You know, the problem is it's never going to be absolutely perfect here. You know, the track is so slick and everything, but you have to have it, you know, the way you want and manageable. So it's uh, it really changes a lot through a run, but you kind of – I really worked the brake bias a lot today, trying to, you know, help the handling a little bit and uh, – that helped us a lot, but uh, it's really, I mean, we had a great car. I don't think anybody really had anything for us, so it was just uh, we probably made little to no adjustments all day. Yeah, we just tweaked on it just every little, every stop, just made it just a little bit better, just knowing what Cole was going to face and knowing what the track was going to do. Um, this race has been in the same time of day for the last two or three years, so the track goes through a certain transition. We kind of knew that, and we just kept up with the racetrack all day long. Yeah, and really, the last two years, we've uh, I've competed with pretty much Mike's car here at Chicago the last two years with Larson driving it, and they always got me. They were always came out on top, so it was nice to drive his car this year. <laughs> all right, Holly. Holly Kane, the uh, NASCAR Wire Service. Cole, how much confidence does scoring a win like this, leading that many laps, help you towards Homestead? Because more than one of your competitors brought up what they think this says about you and what your potential is going to be at Homestead. And we already know you're obviously very good there. Yeah, I mean, I think the low grip tracks have always been good for our team. And, uh, you know, I think now we're, we're the most well-rounded team we've ever been when we go to short tracks and uh, mile and a half and super speedways and everything that we go to. So I think uh, it's just a matter of getting everything a little bit better, and I think we are. So it's just uh, – just doing your homework every weekend, I guess. All right, Chris. Chris Nightcatchfence.com for either Cole or Mike. Get being said throughout the broadcast that you can apply so much from here to Homestead, but is that really true that you guys can apply so much because the circumstances and the weather and everything will be so different when we get to Homestead November? What what did you really learn for the season finale? I mean, really, you got Homestead and Darlington. Those are the two tracks that you run up against the wall. I wouldn't say that the track prepares you for Darlington. What it does do is prepare you for running up against the wall for 200 laps. 
that's what it does is get your mindset and what you got to do. So you get two opportunities here in Darlington to do that. Okay. Next question. Mark Crystal. Mark Crystal, frontstretch.com. Um, Cole, I spoke with Joey Logano after the race, and he said that you were, to go with this heat, on fire today. Um, evaluate um, racing against him, and then he also remarked and said that the future of NASCAR is bright with drivers like yourself. Um, what also does that mean to you? I mean, that's huge. I mean, Joey's a series champion, and, uh, you know, it was fun racing with him today. I think we, you know, had the better car. I think that was a huge part of it, but I think, uh, you know, at least I didn't make any mistakes. So it was, uh, but I think, you know, it's fun to race against those cup guys because they set the bar kind of. So I think, you know, it's good now how they have it, I think. You know, I think we put on better racing when we're by ourselves, but you have to still have that, that benchmark for when the, the cup guys come down and you know where you're really at. Jay Cohen, Associated Press. What was the what was your guys' mindset or thoughts when um, you know Michael and Noah stayed out late p when everybody took a pit and then they got that caution which appeared to put them in good position? Like, what was your guys' thoughts looking at that how that unfolded? Um, really, I mean, we were so fast I wasn't that worried about it. It was just a matter of I wanted to I knew we were probably gonna get by them because we were the fastest car I think you know especially compared to them all day just and. Uh, it was just a matter of I didn't want the 12 to get to the lead before me because then I would have been in his dirty air. So I just wanted to get to the lead as fast as I could so I could have the clean air. And, Stephen, that was Cole Custer there in the media center at, at Chicago Lane Speedway. Uh, we're running short on time, but uh, let's go ahead and talk about, if you can, Stephen, uh, uh, Bowman won his first race there, and uh, he's qualified for the chase going into Homestead Miami Speedway. So uh, let me get your take on there about Bowman. I mean, you know, he's in. How far does he go? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect him to go all the way to the home side of Miami. Uh, I think he'll have a good run in the first round or so. But uh, beyond that, I, I, I think uh, we'll see him out a bit before we get to that final stretch, and uh, especially going into to Homestead Miami. Stephen, like I said, our time's getting short. Coming up here, we're going to have to get off here. But uh, 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 do you have the start times and everything for this weekend at Daytona? I know you're, you and AM are going to make the trek down there. Can you let everyone know the start times for uh, this, fourth, this final 4th of July weekend there at Daytona International Speedway? Yeah, Friday afternoon at 3. <coughs> Sorry. At, at 3.05. PM NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying single vehicle one lap all positions for that to be immediately followed by Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying out there single vehicle single lap for all positions. Then at 7:30 on NBC the Firecrack 250 presented by uh, Circle K, uh, 100 laps 250 miles for the NASCAR Xfinity Series Friday night. And then on Saturday the final Firecracker Coke. Coke Zero Sugar 400 on, on 4th of July weekend, 61 years running at 7.30. NBC will have coverage for that. Uh, 160 laps, 400 miles for that. MRN, Sirius XM also have radio coverage for you on both Friday and Saturday night. And Stephen, you and AEM have a safe trip down. Let everyone know uh, Suzanne and I are going to make the 
going to be making a trek up to Kentucky Speedway next weekend. We're going to cover that stuff and send it all back to you. But, again, Stephen, let everyone know if they can follow you on social media and your website, brother. You can follow us up at, on Twitter at Speedway Digest, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. We'll be in Daytona all weekend long to follow along on, on the socials and, and, and our website. Listeners, follow along with Steve Wilson at SpeedwayDigest.com. He will keep you and everyone update, updated on this final July 4th weekend there at Daytona International Speedway. Steve, I want to thank uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank AM for everything that y'all do for the show. I want to thank Madonna Wife, Suzanne, for handling the phone lines. And I want to thank Andrew Booth for taking time out of his busy schedule right before his big race coming up there to call in the pit stop with Tim and Stephen Wilson. We will come back live next Tuesday evening. So until then, we'll talk to you later. Y'all have a safe 4th of July weekend and eat plenty of hot dogs and hamburgers, Stephen. We'll talk to y'all next weekend. Good night from Talladega, Alabama.
I'm Matt DiBenedetto, driver of the number 95 Procore Toyota Camry, and you're listening to the Pit Stop with Tim DeSpain.